If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today at our award-winning and fully accredited treatment centers on the Eastern Shore and in Southern Maryland, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. We're going to uh, be learning some of Reb Lazar Silver's views and positions on the topic of a machitza in shul. And uh, this is a very important topic to discuss for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, the material itself uh, coming from someone of Reb Lazar Silver's stature is a very relevant material. Uh, Reb Lazar was one of the leading rabbonim in the 20th century American Jewish life which was the era of the Mechitza battles when Orthodoxy was fighting to keep the tradition of the Mechitzas. And the Reb Lezer played a starring role in uh, many of those battles. So uh, what Reb Lezer held about this, uh, what his positions halachically were, what his explanations for Mechitza were, uh, all of that is very important. Uh, it's both relevant nowadays because many of these Shilas do still come up and it's good to understand what a major rub of that stature held. And it's also interesting historically to understand how a major leader of the Orthodox world at that time was responding to these attacks. Um, in addition, uh, this is something which has been almost entirely lost from uh, both history and the halachic literature. Uh, Reb Lazar's position on Mechitza has not gotten the attention that it deserves, and uh, even great Talmidei Chachamim are very often unaware that he had uh, many extensive positions on this, and he revisited the issue a number of times throughout his writings. So it's really uh, an important thing to publicize this a little and get these positions out, so people should be aware of what a great the Gaon in American Jewish history held on these issues. Um, there's another uh, interesting historical quirk about this situation, uh, which is that Reb Lazer gave a deposition in one of the court cases about a machitza, and uh, it's quoted in the back of the biography of him, The Silver Era by Rabbi Aaron Rakefet, on uh, page 332 to 335. There's an appendix, and it quotes the deposition, and those pages are a very long answer about Mechitza. And what he says in the deposition actually helps clarify uh, some of what he writes elsewhere in his Sfarim and Chuvas on this topic. So uh, for the historians out there, this is probably a very unusual situation where a deposition helps us to understand what the halacha is and uh, what his position was in his more traditional Sfarim. I don't know how many uh, depositions are very important and meaningful for the history of halacha, but this one certainly is. So I'm going to use this uh, deposition uh, as we go through this because it's in English. So here we have his direct English quotes, not in translation. 
And so it'll be a good text to work through. Now, a little bit of background before we get to this. Uh, the issue of mechitza was not something which had ever really been dealt with in Jewish history because it was just assumed. Every uh, shul had a mechitza, it was usually a balcony, and uh, there was nothing really to discuss, so a poskim were not really asked about it. So you'll find almost no literature on mechitza uh, before the modern era, a couple hundred years ago maybe. Um, the issue really began when reform in Germany uh, started building shoals without machitzas, and then it picked up in the United States when the conservative movement uh, began taking a lot of the traditional shoals and getting rid of the machitzas. So at this point, the poskim really uh, started to write about machitza, where the source for it comes from, and uh, how do we know that we're obligated to have a machitza in the shoal? And uh, this was agreed, all the great poskim, there was not uh, one Poseik, who differed, all agreed that, of course, you need a machitza. That was not a question. But uh, there was some debate as to how high the machitza had to be. And other issues, including did you need a machitza for a speech in a shul or for a wedding, uh, for non-davening events? Uh, did you need a machitza if you were in a temporary shul? Let's say uh, you're davening outside or in a shiva house. Uh, was there a requirement for a machitza in those situations? Uh, so those were the issues that very often confronted American postkin. So let's start with the source for the machitza. And uh, there was a wide agreement amongst uh, many of the major postkin that the source for the machitza comes from a Gemara in Sukkah, uh, Daphnan Aleph, page 51. Uh, the Gemara there is discussing the Simchas Beis HaShoeva, the great party that they would have on Sukkot. And the Gemara tells that there was a problem that the men and the women were spending too much time together. So they built a balcony, a separate section for the women. So this is our first major source which discusses the need to separate men and women and this was seen as the source for the mechitza in Shul. Again, this was not mentioned in the Rambam, this was not mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch, but this gave us an indication that there was a requirement to have a separate women's section. But even though there was agreement as to the source, there was still a major disagreement about this. And this had to do with two statements of the Rambam, one in his Pirusha Mishnah in Sukkah, and the other when he codifies the Halacha in the Mishnah Torah. And this concerned the issue of what did this balcony in the Beis HaMikdash do? Uh, did it stop the men from seeing the women, or did it just stop them from being able to talk to each other or to mingle and socialize? So this became a, a big machlokas in the modern era. Uh, Rab Moshe Feinstein has a tshuva where he forcefully argues that the point of the machitza is not to prevent seeing, but it's to prevent mingling and socializing. And according to that, Rab Moshe says that the machitza can be transparent. It does not need to be opaque. Uh, and in addition, more importantly, Rab Moshe says that the machitza can be 60 inches. That's what he estimates uh, based on other sources in the Gemara that uh, that's what stops people from mingling, that reaches up to their shoulder height, and uh, therefore they're not able to socialize comfortably. But uh, the mechitza does not need to prevent seeing, which would then have to go higher than 60 inches for the people who are taller than 60 inches. But uh, according to Rab Moshe, the point of the mechitza is to prevent mingling, not vision, and therefore it can be 60 inches. Uh, the Tzitz Eliezer quotes a letter which was signed by many Hungarian rabbanim, including uh, Rab Shlomo Gansfried, the author of the Kitzur Shulchan Arach. And uh, this is long before Rab Moshe wrote his tshuva, but uh, the Rabbanim in Hungary insist that a mechitza has to prevent sight, 
and that's what they hold that the balcony in the Beis Hamikdash did. It prevented the men from seeing the women, and uh, therefore the machitza would have to be high enough that no one can see over it, and it would have to be opaque so that no one's able to see through it. So these were the two major positions in the poskim, whether it needs to be 60 inches or higher. Uh, but no one was really defending a lower than 60-inch mechitza. And the Rav Moshe points this out explicitly in his tshuva on this, in Arachayim Chelek Aleph Simen Lamed Tes, that uh, mechitza, which is similar to the two other types of walls that we have in Halacha, in Erevin on Shabbos and uh, in Hilchus Sukkah, both of those walls need to be a minimum of 10 tfachim. So that would be uh, somewhere between 30 to 40 inches, much lower than 60 inches. But the Rav Moshe points out that because the mechitza in shul is intended to either prevent socializing or vision, so something that low would certainly not be sufficient because you could easily just talk right over that and have a full conversation. So it would have to be much higher. Now, there are some postkim who do allow a somewhat lower mechitza. The position of Rav Salavechik, which is quoted in an article in Tradition in Journal 23 uh, called Women and Minion, and it's also quoted in uh, Volume 33 in an article called The Rav Feminism and Public Policy from uh, the Rav's nephew, Rabbi Meiselman. Um, these authors report that the Rav held the Mechitza has to be 50 inches, so that would be 10 inches lower than Rav Moshe. And uh, Rav Herschel Schechter quotes in uh, his book, Mipnine Harav, on the page 52, that Rav Salavechik even allowed a 10 tfachim mechitza, which would be 36 inches, uh, but only Rishas Adchak for a rabbi who was going to work to elevate the mechitza and who may have very much needed the job. But uh, in general, he believed that the mechitza should be higher, uh, presumably about 50 inches at least. So uh, there is a tradition from Rav Salavechik to be a little more lenient with the height of the mechitza. Um, it's worth just reiterating that Rav Salavechik was not at all lenient with mechitza itself. Uh, he actually has a very strict ruling that uh, this was a case which happened. Someone only had an opportunity to hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah in a synagogue which did not have a mechitza. And uh, Rav Salavechik ruled that it was better for him not to hear the shofar at all, to miss the mitzvah do raisa of shofar, rather than hear it in a synagogue without a mechitza. So Rav Salavechik was very, very much committed to the obligation of a mechitza. He was not in any way questioning that or being lenient with that. But in terms of the height, there was some greater leniency that it could be 50 inches. Uh, similarly, there's a report quoted in the Shailos Hachuvah's Bnei Banim from Rabbi Yehuda Henkin that his grandfather, the great Posek Rav Henkin, also held, like Rav Salavechik, that at times a mechitza, which is 11 tefachim, presumably so long as it's 10 tefachim high, that that would be sufficient as a mechitza height. So we have the two poskim here, Rav Salavechik and Rav Henkin, who uh, both seem to hold that at least under certain circumstances you could have a mechitza, which is ten tfachim, uh, which would mimic the type of wall that you need in other areas of halacha, in Erevin and in Sukkah. And uh, again, as we mentioned, Rav Moshe explicitly disagrees with this and says that you cannot compare mechitza to a situation of other walls in halacha because the purpose of the mechitza 
is so different from the other walls in halacha, it has to be able to block either mingling or vision, and therefore it has to be higher. So those are the three major positions that we find. Either it has to totally block the vision. Uh, according to Rav Moshe, it has to block the mingling, which is 60 inches. And according to Rav Henkin and Rav Soloveitchik, it can be at a minimum 10 tfachim, which would be around 36 inches. And they're not saying that this is an ideal but that would be sufficient. Now, this third position is not that well explained in the halacha. The other two positions, like we said, are based on different statements of the Rambam and his discussion of this. Uh, but where they got ten tfachim and uh, how you can compare machitza in a shul to a case of sukkah and erevin is not entirely clear. Now, interestingly enough, so Reb Lazer comments on a lot of these issues, and I'm going to read a little bit from the deposition, and we'll see that in his discussion of this, he provides a rationale, an explanation for the third position that a mechitza is sufficient with only ten tefachim. Now, I want to read some of his original language in this deposition, and I'm going to begin with his mentioning the Gemara in Sukkah, which, as we said, is the basis for Mechitza, according to most poskim. So this is what he says. There are two reasons for this separation. One given in the Talmud of Babylonia and that of Jerusalem is that men and women should not be together because of the evil inclination. This would be in accordance with the Mishnah in Sukkah 51b, 52a. According to this, when the men are inside and the women outside or women are in another place or a little higher, it would be permitted as long as they are not together. So with this first position, the way he reads the Gemara is like Reb Moshe's, that uh, so long as people are not mingling, it would be sufficient. Now he quotes the second position that we mentioned. However, according to Maimonides, in his explanation to the Mishnah in Sukkah, the men are not even allowed to see the women during the time of prayers. Therefore, even when the women would be separate with the men down and the women just a little higher, it would not be permitted. Only when the women are in the gallery and the men downstairs would prayer be permitted because then they cannot see one another. So this is the second position that it has to block vision and therefore it can't just be a little bit higher but it would need to be either a balcony or something which totally blocks vision. But now Reb Lazer moves on to a second explanation as to the source of Mechitza. And this one is very original to him and it reflects his unique expertise in Kudshim in the laws governing the Beis HaMikdash. Now I'm going to explain this approach and then we'll read it in his deposition. Uh, this approach is based on a comment of Rashi. The Gemara in Kiddushin, Dafnun Beis, Amin Beis, says, V'chi isha ba'azara minayin. There's a case in the Gemara that involves a woman being in the men's section of the Beis HaMikdash. And the Gemara asks, how could a woman be in the Ezra's Yisrael, in the place that that's for the men? So Rashi writes, V'nashim ein nechnasos la, that women are not allowed to be in the Ezra's Yisrael. And he quotes a Mishnah at the beginning of Masachis Kalim. Now, Tosos questions this Rashi, and uh, he says that we don't find any place that a woman is not allowed into the Ezra's Yisrael. And uh, he disagrees with his reading of the Mishnah and Kalim. He also questions that you have cases of women like a Sota or a Nazira who uh, do need to come into the Beis HaMikdash for their carbon. Uh, so Tosos basically says that the Gemara just meant why would a woman practically be wandering around the Azara? It's an unusual thing to have happened. So uh, 
why would we be discussing that case? But it's not that it's halachically prohibited for a woman to come into the Ezras Yisrael. So essentially we have a machlokus between Rashi and Tosos and Kiddushin, whether it's just unusual for a woman to go into the men's section of the Beis HaMikdash, but it's permitted, or is it actually prohibited, according to Rashi? Now, Reb Lazer believes that this concept, that women generally did not go into the men's section or were not allowed, is the basis of our obligation of machitzas in our shuls, which are mod- modeled after the Beis HaMikdash. And he says, he quotes a Rashi in Zvachim, who says that if something is orach ara, that's the way, the custom that people do it, so it becomes an actual halacha and it's actually a doraisa. So according to Rab Lazer, because in the Beis HaMikdash, women did not go into the men's section, in our shuls it's also prohibited for women to go into the men's section, and you actually have to split those two sections to make sure that they are two different spaces, two different locations, like it was in the Beis HaMikdash, and therefore you need a machitza to separate between those two areas. So this is the basis of a machitza in our shuls, according to Reb Lazar. I'm going to read this in his deposition. A second explanation is that no woman, even not together with men, can enter the Ezrat Israel unless only one or two women for some special reason. This can be found in Kiddushin 52b and the commentary of Rashi there. In other places in rabbinical literature, they say that this is part of the Mosaic law. It is called Mida Oraita. It is stated in the Zohar that when a woman enters the temple together with men, it is the same as placing an idol of the pagans in the temple. This is in the Zohar to Bamidbar and in Shuvah Me'ahava 229, Division 10. The same is in the book Har Tavor. So this is Reb Lazer's original approach to why we need a machitza. It's based on the way things were done in the Beis HaMikdash, which at this point has now become an absolute halacha on us. And therefore we have to differentiate between the area in the shul, which is for the men, and the area which is for the women. And even though Reb Lazer does quote, like I said, the Mishnah in Sukkah, the initial reason that the other postkim give, uh, but this idea he comes back to again and again, Ein Isha Ba'azara, that a woman should not be in the Ezra Yisrael for the men. And uh, this seems to him to be a fundamental rationale for Mechitza in Shul. Now, if we follow this approach to its logical end, so we'll see that according to Reb Lazer, what you're trying to do is not prevent vision, and you're not trying to prevent mingling, but you're actually trying to split the areas to make two separate areas, one for men and one for women. And that's uh, the same as Sukkah and Erevin. Reb Chaim has a number of pieces in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi where he discusses what exactly the purpose of the walls of the Sukkah and the Erev are. Um, and that could add some complexity to this. But uh, the simple reading is that the Sukkah and the Eruv, you have to differentiate the space. You have to set aside those areas to separate them. And uh, according to Reb Lazer, a Mechitza in the Shul follows the same uh, model because you're trying to separate the areas. So uh, this is a very different way to look at it. And uh, of course, this would provide a rationale for a lower ten tfachim mechitza because uh, since the mechitza and the shul follows in the model 
of the sukkah and the eruv, which are ten tefachim, so the mechitza and the shul, so long as it's ten tefachim, that would be sufficient. Again, Reb Lazer would probably also not say that this is ideal because there is the other reason, and he does quote both positions in the deposition and in his sefer, uh, whether it's an issue of mingling or vision, uh, so he would seem to hold that you need to have a much higher mechitza, but at least this approach would give a rationale to explain what Rav Salavechik and Rav Henkin were saying, that at the bare minimum, a mechitza needs to be ten tefachim. And uh, sure enough, historically, uh, we have at Kesher Israel in Harrisburg a tradition here. Uh, our rabbi from 1932 to 1983 was Reb son, Rav David Silver. And uh, he followed his father, who was the Rav here from 1907 to 1925. And uh, our shul has a mechitza, which is 47 inches on the men's side and 30 inches on the women's side. The women's section is a bit elevated. And our tradition here is that Rab Lazer approved of that mechitza. He said that it was sufficient. Uh, and in Rabbi David Silver's memoirs, Silver Lining, he quotes also that his father told him that he would not have put up such a low mechitza, but it was sufficient. So we have a historical record that Reb Lazer actually paskined uh, that a mechitza can be somewhat lower than 60 inches, at least after the fact, it's okay. And uh, that would seem to flow out of this position here that we're going through, that uh, since the mechitza has to split the reshuyos, it's looking at dividing this room into two different sections. So uh, so long as it's ten tefachim, that would be okay. Now, a second question, which also comes up here, is building this mechitza in shul on Shabbos. Now, the Shulchan Aruch differentiates between a mechitza which is trying to separate the room, um, like a sukkah, uh, versus a mechitza, which is trying to block people's vision. And uh, he says a vision mechitza you're allowed to put up, but a mechitza like a sukkah you would not be allowed to put up. Uh, now, according to Rav Moshe, that the mechitza is blocking mingling, so then you should be able to put it up on Shabbos. Uh, but according to Reb Lazer, this would complicate it, and uh, you could argue that you're not allowed to put up a mechitza in a shul on Shabbos because it's not a mechitza which blocks vision, but it's a mechitza which separates the two reshuyos, these two areas, and that's usher to put up on Shabbos. Um, a final question which uh, this touches on is the issue of what if you have one or two women who uh, step into the men's section for a moment or two, or uh, let's say it's uh, a temporary minion, uh, there's only one or two women around, uh, do you need to have a machitza? So Rabbi Moshe in uh, the Igros Moshe, uh, dealing with a shiva house, uh, has a short shuva, and he basically says that you do not need a machitza if you just have a f- couple of women there, uh, and it's temporary, and uh, he quotes that in Europe, women used to come into the men's section to say Kaddish. So you see that you could have one or two women in there. And again, this would seem to follow his position that the point of a machitza is to block mingling. So it's only when there's really a crowd of women and a crowd of men that we're concerned. But the one or two women would not be a problem. Um, in the Chuvos B'nai Banim, he quotes that uh, according to Rab Lazer Silver, this really should be a problem because, as we saw, women are really not supposed to come into the men's section. So uh, even one or two women, or uh, even in a shiva house, uh, which is temporary, according to Rab Lazer, there should be a stringency here that you still need some sort of separation uh, between these two groups. Now, unfortunately, we don't have uh, much practical rulings on this topic from Reb Lazer, so uh, we're just conjecturing based on his approach 
what he would say in these situations. Now, Reb Lazer runs through a number of other reasons over here for the need for a machitza. And I'm going to just go through the ones that appear in this deposition. The third reason that he offers is based on a controversial statement from Rabbeinu Hananel. Uh, this is quoted in the Rivid in Tamid Lamed Gimel Amid Beis. Uh, generally, we assume that the Tumas Ohel, being in the same room as or under a roof with uh, something impure, makes you tame, only applies to a dead body. Uh, Rabbeinu Hananel discusses that there's some sort of form of Tomas Ohel when it comes to Anida, and uh, he talks about that a Kohen who's making the Birchas Kohanim uh, while there's Anida in the room, that this would be a terrible, terrible sin because of the Tuma that's permeating the room. Now, many uh, poskim disagree with this position, beginning with the Ravid, who uh, says that maybe this only applied in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, uh, but not nowadays. Uh, the Prichadash, the Chida, the uh, Chasim Sofer and Atshuva says that we're not strict for this, and the Tzitz Eliezer in the Chelek Yud, Simen Ches, also dismisses this position. So uh, the mainstream halachic position is not to be concerned with Rabbeinu Hananel's Shita. Uh, there are some poskim, though, the Nefesh Chaya and the Beis Ephraim in uh, Tshuva and Arachayim Simen Vav. Um, they do say that we should at least be concerned with Rabbeinu Hananel's position. And the uh, Rab Lazer Silver seems to follow in that approach in a Haggah at the back of the Sefer Nefesh Chaya in Arachayim Simen Mem. So Rab Lazer Silver said that based on this, this would be another reason why we should have a Mechitza in the Shul to uh, separate the men from the women. And uh, this is what he seems to be referring to in the next part of this deposition. Uh, I'll read what he says. Uh, there is another reason. Some women have their menstrual periods, and at that time they cannot be in the congregation, even upstairs. There are some of the poskim who do permit it, but even they say that the woman cannot be downstairs. And this continues until they go to mikvah. Until that time, they cannot be inside. This is in the Code of Karo to Orachayim 88 and to Yoredea 195. It is also in the Maharam Lublin 59 and the Maharit 132. So uh, again, as I noted, uh, many uh, poskim do not seem to accept this, and it seems a little bit of a, a shaky ground on which to base a mechitza. Rabbi Yehuda Hankin in the Chuvas B'nai Banim and Chelek Aleph Simon Dalid, uh, he points out also another problem, which is that according to Reb Lazer, if there is a problem having a nida in the room where people are davening, so that problem is not solved by having a machitza because they're still in the building and they're still in the same room, so you don't seem to gain much by having a machitza. Um, so again, that's Reb Lazer's third reason for a machitza. There's a, a fourth reason that Reb Lazer mentions in his Sefer, based on the Gemara in Sota, that when men and women sing together, that's a major breach in Snius. And uh, he quotes that the Chuvas Shoalu Meshiv explains that this is why women were not obligated in Bikurim, so that they would not be there together with the men when they were singing. So uh, this he also says in the deposition, and I'll read it. This is his fourth reason. Then there is another reason, since it states in the Babylonian Talmud Sota 48a, that when men sing and women join in, it is licentiousness. When women sing and men join in, it is like fire in tow. This certainly cannot be done in a holy place. Therefore, the Sholu Meshiv, Book 6, 
says that in the Temple of Jerusalem, they did not let the women inside even when they needed to go in when it was the time for singing, praying, or mikra bikurim, the reading of the portion of the first fruits. So uh, that's another reason. Um, Reb Lazer mentions a fifth reason. Another reason is that in the Talmud there are advices. These advices which the people of Israel accepted as customs have the authority of law. The Talmud of Psachim 111a states that it is advisable that a man should not be between two women and a woman should not be between two men. Because we took their advice in the congregation, at least, this became a law. So in order to prevent men and women from walking between each other, we have to have a machitza, at least in shuls. Uh, Reb Lazer continues, Another reason is that every married woman, according to the Mosaic law, must go with her head covered in public places, especially at the time of prayer. And there it is said that we cannot pray and look at a woman whose hair is not covered. Since some of the women come to the synagogue with uncovered heads, we cannot pray at the time when they are inside. For the source, see the Talmud Ketubot 72a. So Reb Lazar's sixth reason has to do with the fact that some women's hair is not covered and that you cannot daven in their presence. Uh, this is a well-known machlokas that the Archa Shulchan was lenient on this nowadays and the Mishnah Brura is strict. So this would follow the position of the Mishnah Brura. Uh, a seventh reason, Reb Lazar continues, there is also another law. When a custom has been enforced for centuries and no rabbis were against it, then it has the authority of law. The rabbis who come afterwards cannot change this custom until they are more in number and greater in authority. Then they can change the custom only if there is some reason for the change. If the custom has its origin in the Talmud, then the rabbis can never change it. This is found in the Maram Shik 77, and even one of the greatest Talmud scholars who was known as Rav could not change a custom. 1600 years ago, when he came into some place and found a custom there which was against his teachings, he could not destroy this custom since it had been observed for years and years. This is cited in the Talmud Ta'anit 28b and discussed in many rabbinical books. So uh, Reb Lazar's final reason here is that this has become the Minag Yisrael. This is our custom and at this point we certainly cannot change it. Um, he ends off over here, and I'll just read the end. In the Pitche Chaim, it is said that a synagogue is the same as the inside room of the temple, even when the women must do some duties together with the men, as for instance, to read the chapter of Zachor in the Torah. They are still not permitted to go inside the synagogue. Rather, the man must come to them to read it. And now Reb Lazar ends this answer. Uh, he says, there is not one book in the whole rabbinical literature since the Talmud which, which permits men and women to sit together in the synagogue at the time of prayer. No one since the time of the Talmud up to now has permitted this. So uh, you see he has seven r- explanations for why mechitza is needed. Uh, obviously, some are better and more convincing than others. Uh, there are some differences in halacha practically between the answers, as we've discussed. Uh, but certainly, Reb Lazer is a fierce defender of the obligation to have a machitza. There is no room whatsoever to uh, question this obligation, and uh, that he makes very clear. Um, I'll end with uh, one follow-up question. The lawyer here asks him an interesting question. Uh, you can tell the lawyer was following his argument. Uh, he says, why are women allowed to enter the synagogue to go to a wedding? Uh, 
So uh, the question, according to Reb Lazer, and we discussed this, is if a woman cannot go into the men's section, because that's the halacha of the Beis HaMikdash, so why are there times and situations when women are able to go into a shul, such as for a wedding? So where Reb Lazer answers him, even in the temple of Jerusalem, a woman was permitted to enter when the act could not be done without her. Therefore, in case of sacrifice, which she brought, which could not be brought without her, she could enter. Since a wedding could not be without a woman, therefore women can enter. But at the time of prayer, it is not permitted because in the temple it was not permitted. This is found in the Talmud Kiddushin 52b and the commentary of Rashi there. So uh, you see he's getting involved in this deposition in uh, how to explain this Machlokas Rashi Tosvos. Uh, is a woman never allowed in the Azara, in the men's section, unless there's some pressing reason why she has to go in there. Um, or according to Tosvos, is it that in general women don't go in there, but if they have a reason, then they would be allowed to go in there. Um, but either way, Reb Lazer is adopting the approach that in general women should not and cannot go into the men's section, but in cases where they were needed, so then they were able to go in there to do whatever was necessary. Um, but at the time of davening, Reb Lazer holds that this would not be allowed at all, um, which was what we had indicated would be his position, uh, that even one or two women, uh, let's say in a shiva house, uh, all of that would not be permitted. Um, and uh, I'll read you just uh, in conclusion the last question that he's asked by the lawyers. Are mixed pews ever permitted in Orthodox synagogues? And the Reb Lazer answers with one word, which is no. So uh, we've seen some of Reb Lazer's many reasons for uh, having a machitza and a shul, and uh, we've discussed in, at length some of the halachic implications of his major reason that women do not go into the men's section and how that plays out in three questions uh, as to the height of the machitza. This should allow for a much lower machitza, similar to an Eruv and a Sukkah, a 10 Tfachim machitza, which would be around 36 inches, uh, in keeping with Rav Salavechik and Rav Hankins Heter in cases of great need. Uh, we've discussed building it on Shabbos. This should be a stringency that you cannot build it. And uh, finally, if you have one or two women, or if you're in a temporary shul like a shiva house, uh, according to Rav Lazer, you would still need a machitza. And uh, hopefully some of this information will become more publicized. These are certainly questions which continue to come up all the time. And uh, to know the positions of Rav Lazer Silver on these key halachic issues is uh, certainly worthwhile to know what a great man of his caliber who was involved in this issue, what he thought about these cases.